You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, the one and two Indiana Pacers should be a little better, but they'll take it after the first week they've had and the injuries they've had. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News. And today, lots to talk about with this crazy basketball team that's trying to kill everyone with these close games. Close win over Miami. Miles Turner goes for 40 points. Chris Duarte getting MVP chance. The Indiana Pacers are officially back. Lots to get to today. And joining me to cover the Cardiac Pacers, as I would like to coin them so far this season, Flum. From Bleacher Report, the Hardwood Knox podcast, NBA Math, my old editor who taught me everything I know about writing, Mr. Dan Favalli. Dan, how's it going, man? Oof, don't sell yourself short and say you learned anything from me, otherwise you won't have a career much longer. <laughs> Tony, I am grand. It's great to talk to you and catch up again. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm thrilled to be here, and I could not have asked for a better person to be jazzed up about Chris Duarte, because that's the I sent Dan a fake like, what are we going to talk about today picture? And it was just Chris Duarte's name spelled out and in a bulleted list because there's a lot of interesting Pacers topics to talk about. But, you know, you were you were watching the Pacers heat game. I saw you tweeted a picture of Carousel Vert being stunned several times during that game because Chris Duarte is just it's just awesome. And it, it's weird to lead off with him when the Pacers had an impressive come from behind win against a, an Eastern Conference competitor and Miles Turner at a 40 point game this weekend. Like those are huge stories that merit a lot of attention but I have to lead off with a rookie shooting 40 46 100 right now averaging over 20 points per game has more confidence than any rookie I've ever seen wear a Pacers jersey who's just showing up to play every day guarding Jimmy Butler I mean he's incredible for a 13th pick what have you seen and liked from Chris Duarte so far Dan there's well, I think the one thing from what I've seen with the Pacers, I know they're banged up. I don't know that I anticipated him to be as important as he was to them this suit. I know you don't have TJ, I know you don't have Karis, but still, like this is a rookie playing for Rick Carlisle, who's always been a little bit iffy about youngsters. So to see him have such an integral role in the offense, his comfort working off the dribble is just is huge for them. Taking super deep threes. Um, he's like top eight right now in off the dribble jump shot attempts, and he's shooting 50% on off the dribble threes. Five of 10, crazy small sample size. I don't freaking care. To do that as a rookie through your first couple games, to take some really big shots, even in that Pacers heat game. And there's, it takes me a while because I cover the league at large to get a feel for like who's actually bad and who's actually good on defense, unless their names are um, O'Shea Brissett, who is just spectacular at everything, apparently. (laughs) Um, He was like matched up against Jimmy Butler for certain key possessions and was not totally torched. And so people make jokes about his age. But like this looks like a dude who's ready to play to where once Karras comes back, once TJ Warren comes back, it almost feels like he has to be in the rotation. I, three games is three games is three games. But this dude has been on fire with the Pacers since summer league, basically. So this doesn't feel like too much of an anomaly. Yeah. Well, first of all, we'll talk about O'Shea later because that's another huge story from the weekend. But yeah, Duarte hitting clutch shots in two of his three games already. Icing the game against the Heat, a 30-footer, I think it was, to give him the lead. In the fourth quarter, they're confident letting him shoot. And we do overreactions in after the first game of the season. We always do these, you know, a silly overreaction to the first game pod. And I said, I think Chris Duarte might be the best pull-up shooter on the Pacers. Like now. Like he's played one game like like now. I don't I don't know that that's that crazy anymore because every game he's just 
pull like, okay, yeah, I'll take four pull-up threes this game and two falling away mid-rangers and one pull-up from the free throw line jumper that no one expects, and he makes like half of them, and and you're totally okay with it because they go in. It's it's weird for the Pacers specifically watching them because they've always been so veterany and Rick Carlisle to see them have this kind of confidence to let a guy shoot those kind of shots in that often. It's very impressive. And to your point about the rotation, you know, I always kind of thought with Carlisle and just in general, rookies aren't that good and they're trying to recover after the Bjorken year that he wouldn't play that much. But then Karras got hurt and Jeremy Lamb has not been that good. And all of a sudden it's like, man, when Karras comes back, do they just start him at the three and move Justin Holiday to the bench? Like he's already at the point where you think about how do you squeeze him into the lineup and and, and continue to get him these minutes because he's been good on both ends. Yeah, it's look, I, I, yeah, Jeremy Lamb shooting 20% on twos to start the season has probably helped Duarte stock a little bit. And <laughs> yes. it's of the healthy Pacers, who would even have a chance at being as good on pull up jumpers as him? But you would think, in theory, Jeremy Lamb. And I guess once they're fully healthy, you would go Karis Levert might be able to challenge him. I don't, that's not really TJ Warren's game, even if you put the ball in his hands necessarily. So uh, that's wild can, to, to say. Can I intersect to ask a philosophy question? Please. Is one dribble a pull up? How many dribbles is a pull-up? Because Malcolm Brogdon's really good at one-dribble shots, but once he has to put a package of moves together, it's not happening, right? So that's where Duarte really exceeds him in this department. Right. I mean, if it's the stats, like, they consider, like, one dribble. But, like, you catch the ball, yeah. and you, it's basically a glorified catch-and-shoot attempt. Um, he definitely seems just more comfortable breaking down the offense late in the shot clock, um, backing it up. And maybe that will be to his detriment at one point because right now, again – I did not watch Chris Duarte in college, but like it does feel like his game stalls out before the basket a little bit. I think you could probably also say the same thing about the Pacers' entire offense right now. <laughs> but uh, this is just like it's super fun to watch. And if they're going to remain afloat through all these injuries, because like what are the timetables on Karras and TJ Warren's timetable just seems like this big mystery. Uh, you need like I don't want to say an offensive hub because you have Demetrius Sabonis, uh, Miles Turner shooting a trillion percent on threes this year for some reason, and you still do have Malcolm Brogdon. But like to be able to count on someone to break down the defense in these crunch time situations, which it feels like the Pacers are gonna have a lot of apparently um, during this season, <laughs> that's absolutely huge in the interim. And so if it is just like this wave, they need to ride it as long as possible because I think they need this exact type of player, probably in general, but I would say right now for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that, and I agree that he stops like just short of the rim. You know, he loves to jump stop and try to figure it out, and, and Malcolm Brogdon's teaching him paint touches, but I think he just needs to keep his dribble for like two seconds longer every time he, he puts it on the floor. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's really impressive, and, and getting them that win, I mean, not quite on his shoulders. In fact, that might have been his worst game as a pro, but just getting that win against the Heat and, and, and the way he was able to show up in huge moments was just just so impressive, and I, I think that as he continues to grow, I, there are going to be dud games. He's a rookie, but how he fits in will be fascinating. And to your point about the timelines, Levert's reevaluation, uh, this will come out Monday, is today. Uh, they play the Bucks. He will not play in that game. But after that, they'll try to – I think we'll have a more concrete timeline for him. But he's been doing – like learned to assume Levert's timelines are going to be pushed back. That's how <laughs> it's been with him since Brooklyn. Yeah, that's uh, that's understandable. You know, the original thought was he'd be back for the season anyway. So, yeah, where where Duarte fits in once Levert is back will be fascinating, which could be end of this coming week. I don't know. I, back injuries also, even beyond Levert's history, are like just throw your hands up and, you know, <laughs> let the doctors figure it out, I guess. Right. But, like I would, I would probably do that myself. I like Justin Holiday quite a bit as a glue guy on a lineup that has a lot of guys who can do good things if he's your fifth starter. But 
why 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 waste everybody's time like if you want this kid to be awesome just throw him to the wolves right away until he can't do it so i would probably start to arte at the three even when levert comes back but that's a question for the future pacers i don't know what do you think about that I would be worried, and this might, I don't know enough about how Duarte would play off others, but like that's always seemed to be like a little bit of a weakness of Karis Levert's game, like where we haven't seen him do a ton off the ball. And so I'd be curious as to like, at that point, you're definitely going to displace Chris Duarte from the ball more. And so if you just yes. think that he can do a lot more in that role, um, that's totally fine. I mean, he's played well enough. Just if you want to throw who your best players have been thus far on the court, then yeah, for sure. And like Harris Levert is going to be a given when he's healthy. Otherwise, it could be intriguing if you want to maximize his time on the ball. Can you give him more run with that second unit? And, you know, yeah, you obviously don't trust him as necessarily a facilitator in that role, but he's definitely more of like a threat in the half court than whatever TJ McConnell is going to do to try and score. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Maybe maybe the move is Levert. I, I don't know what they're thinking. It depends on how they are in Duarte, I'm sure internally on how they make those decisions dan you and i were at nba mat together for a short time so i know you like numbers so i have a i have a strange one for you there's a player on the pacers who was averaging 17.7 points per game after three games and had a 40 point game on friday and they're averaging under 20 per game already this season miles turner season has been so bizarre and the crux of it all is just foul trouble right in their first game and against the heat uh, last night for me, two nights ago for you listening, Carlisle pulled him for foul reasons and then uh, stuck with Jeremy Lamb down the stretch against the Hornets. But he had a 40-point game. Miles Turner's career high was 31 before this game against Washington, and it was insane to see him play like this. Ripped nine threes, hit five of them, 22 shots from the field. I don't know that that's career high for him, but it's got to be close. Hit 15 of them. He's always talked about wanting this bigger role and being more involved and doing this, being the shot fake, put it on the floor and score guy or hitting the threes guy. And I've never seen Miles Turner put it all together in one game like he did on Friday. How much of that game have you caught? And do you like how Miles Turner's being used with the Pacers this year, Dan? Uh, I did not watch any of that live. And I went back and watched like some of what he was doing on offense in that game. I'm just, and I saw his comments about wanting a bigger role. And then I saw how like Caitlin Cooper from any corner was quoted with like his touches aren't even really up that much on the season. And if you look at like deeper into his numbers, it's not like they're tasking him with creating a ton. His drives overall are not up. And so it seems like we'd be banking an awful lot on the performance of one game to believe that this is the player he's going to be. I'm just curious as to like the question for you would be, is that type of volume from him sustainable because and look you watch the charlotte game is he actually being used in different ways because if he's not being used in starkly different ways it's going to be a matter of aggression which has always come and gone with miles turner to the point where it's like the idea of what miles turner does on offense is so great but it just doesn't happen consistently enough and so if he's going to put it together there where we have games where you know he's going to take you know, eight, nine, 10, three pointers, like, because he has the ball in his hands and teams are still probably going to leave him pretty open. Like you look at his three point percentages, he stretches the floor. Like he really does just by volume, but he's never just been this lights out three point shooter for consecutive seasons in a row. And so maybe that will go into it, but I would need to see this be like a status quo for, I don't know, like 10 games or something before I'm ready to be like miles Turner is about to have a career year under Rick Carlisle. Hey guys, short little break here so I can talk to you guys about two great groups of people. The first one, the good folks over at Price Picks. They have the best NBA DFS prop game on the market. They offer more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as the bench players, only recording a handful of minutes each game. Price Pick offers any prop 
you can think of from yards to touchdowns, even interceptions thrown. And all users that deposit and use the promo code that we can give you right now will get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Just be sure to use the promo code MBA when you sign up. Prize Picks allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over on LeBron combined with Mahomes on the under in the same entry. You can use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's safe and offers fast withdrawals. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com. And use that promo code NBA. Go on the App Store and download it today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. And of course, I got to talk to you guys about DirecTV Stream because does this sound familiar? You've got one device to watch the game live. I've been watching the Pacers on my computer, another to watch your favorite shows. That's my Xbox. You can watch sports highlights on your phone. And you've got, you know, my parents help me out here. The login for Netflix or the good stuff. Well, there's one way you can get all the entertainment you love without the hassle and get it together. And that is direct TV stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch all your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. No more juggling remotes. No need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter. Get rid of the confusion. Get your TV together with direct TV stream. You can learn more at direct TV com that's directtv.com compatible requests desired content varies by package yeah i don't think he'll have a career year either uh that said the fact that a coach trusted him to shoot 22 times in a game at all is something compared to the rest of miles turner's career i would say uh the weird thing is like this is a, a vestige from the bjorken year to his credit but miles turner i agree with you about the aggression it comes and goes but He's a guy who always had confidence issues the first under McMillan or the first four years of his career where even sometimes when he had open shots or open lanes, he would just turn and reverse it right away. And I'm glad that I'm on YouTube now because you can see me doing a fake little reverse <laughs> the hand motions. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, like that. But now, you know, really last year this started, but also some this year we see this where he catches and he looks at the basket and he'll shot fake and put it on the floor more or just rip it when he's open. Like he's got that confidence and this is manifested in several players. TJ McConnell taking a ton of threes. Jeremy Lamb shooting whenever he's open. O'Shea Brissett taking shot fake off the bounce threes. Like Rick Carlisle basically says, like, if you can get yourself open, shoot. I don't like I don't care who you are. Shoot the ball. I trust you. You're in the game, right? So Miles against the Wizards with this good matchup did that. And I think that Carlisle will let him do that any time the matchup presents itself, which is something that he has not really had the favor of coaches to do before and he has the confidence to do it now that said again if the aggression wanes or if he starts settling or falling away a little on his jumper that's something he's been known to do when he's not feeling in the past maybe he won't he can be rickety and again he's only at 17 points per game like we've seen foul trouble really haunt him so far this season it's hard to get a good feel for what he is but I'll be curious if this role can be there for him more often this season because if Carlisle says like, yeah, you can shoot 22 times if it's there for you. If he can follow up with performances like that, that that's great, but we've never seen it before. So I don't know how, to, I don't know what to make of it. I would also be curious as to like, is his role going to be impacted at all if they decide to split up the bigs in crunch time with, you know, I know Miami specifically, uh, Sabonis was on a court and that probably had stuff to do with foul trouble, but is that going to be just a common occurrence too? Because that could sort of eat into his confidence or his overall usage, depending on like, how are they going to stagger these bigs moving forward for the entire season? I've never had to talk about staggering Sabonis and Turner before. So it's interesting that you bring that up. That's never been a topic in Pacers land. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Rick said he wants to stagger guys, but, 
we've heard that before and it either doesn't happen or it's always Sabonis. I'm right? a big advocate of just put your best players on the court as much Agreed. as possible and trying to get them figured out. So I would be, no, I mean, you stagger them obviously because you want to see both of them play the five, but like if it's closing time and you don't feel like you can play both of these guys at the same time, I don't want to rehash this discussion about, well, then you need to move Turner. But like, if you don't feel that you could play them together during your most important minutes, then it's time to break these two up. And I think if Turner's going to shoot like this as frequently and as high of a clip, I would think that there's absolutely a pathway to to them being better than than ever. I would say not because we've seen them work; like they've been fine. Uh, people, I think, exacerbate how much of an to me they are an iffy fit. But people make them out to be like this flop, and I think health has come into play a ton. It feels like over the past two or three years, whatever it's been, but they've been fine overall. And I think maybe this year, if you're going to get this version or. 75% of this version of Turner, there's probably a clearer pathway to them succeeding together offensively when they're on the court. Yeah, his offensive performance was going well against Charlotte until the foul trouble popped up. And then Carlisle closed with Jeremy Lamb for some reason, and it didn't work, and now that will never happen again. I mean, we've already seen Lamb's minutes kind of waning and changing as the season's gone on. O'Shea Brissett stole a lot of his minutes against Miami. So I think with Turner... It, the fouls that really cloud what we can say, because I, I don't know what Rick really thinks. Someone asked him after the the game, you know, hey, was it kind of awkward that you couldn't play Miles very much against the Heat? You know, he only played 16 minutes. I don't think that was your plan. He's like, you need five fouls. That's not awkward. And I was like, oh, no. Rick didn't like that question. That's not good when Carlisle talks like that. But, um, yeah, you know, that clouds a discussion because I think he – He's been playing well with and without Sabonis, and he closed against Washington, and he probably would have played more closing against Miami if it weren't for the fouls. So see what his role evolves into when that all when that all settles down. I am interested uh, to see if the like the that that pump and drive aspect of his game, if he feels as confident with it when Sabonis is is on the court. Because I think there's like a he's very self-aware of the room on the court, and there was I think it was the Wizards game this season where he just like, I've never seen him do that sequence quicker where he just caught it and there was like no thinking. Like he he shot faked and then went into his drive. And I feel like sometimes once a bonus is on the court, um, there's like that natural pause because you have to consider like who's closer to the basket. But like, that's just, that's a like a, I, st- I still think that would be like a, hey, react, because like maybe you can get to the free throw line more even if you're not getting right to, to the basket. And it's right. not like the, the Pacers have the worst spacing in the league. Yeah, and Carlisle's a big read and react guy, and they do, even with both bigs on the floor sometimes, they've been doing five out this year, which it's kind of working, so I don't want to be like, that's a strange choice, but you know we'll see how that ends up shaking out with the fit of those two guys. I don't have a lot to say on this next topic on our list, Dan. I just, I'm sick of close games. Two OTs on back-to-back nights, two one-point losses. They are the first team. I don't know if you saw the ESPN stats and info stat. They're the first team since 1955 to lose both their first and second game by one point. I don't like covering these close games. I want to start writing and thinking about what I'm going to talk about in like the third quarter. I don't know how you feel about close games and how they've executed down the stretch of these games, but it's been very fascinating to see this team every single game. No matter what happens, they're up 10 in the first half and all of them, they have to play a close fourth quarter. I hate it. Well, so you were the one that sort of alerted me to this, but that Wizards game, like they had like this really crappy third quarter. And then Every I game. didn't see the Hornets game. I saw you tweet about how crappy the third quarter was. And then sure enough, like what was that streak? Like it was, I think it was the third into the fourth quarter where they were like, oh, of nine or they missed nine straight shots in the second half. And I know you asked Rick Carlisle about it. He said it was a good question, then proceeded to not really give you an answer about <laughs> what, was, what was ailing them. So I, that, 
I enjoy close games, but I'm just like, they do seem for a team that isn't getting to the basket a ton right now, for whatever reason you think that is. I just, I think, you know, um, Karis Levert is going to be important to them doing that a little bit more, him being healthy, maybe even, you know, TJ Warren, when you're looking at guys like that can put the ball on the floor, but it feels like it's hurting them a lot in the, like, as you get into the second half for whatever reason. And I don't know if it's their offense is more predictable during those stretches, but I'm with you. I, well, I enjoy a close game. I'm a fan of chaos as someone who covers a league. Okay, at large. Fair, yes. Uh, but like to start the seat, like we don't need another Blazers team where they make every <laughs> single fourth quarter so unnecessarily stressful. And when you don't have Dame on your team, it kind of takes away from the allure <laughs> of it going into crunch time. And so, um, I'm if you, if you're covering the game, like when I'm writing about specific games, yeah, I would love for it. Not that I love blowouts, but like I want to be able to pick my angle and know what I'm writing about sometime, like before the fourth quarter. And the Pacers have certainly not been conducive to you and whoever else covers them doing that. The heart attacks from fans are just, you know, they they, they just expect the third quarters at this point. Like, yeah, Carlisle, he didn't really give me the runaround. Like, I got, I thought that was what his answer was. Be was like, I don't know why we suck in this quarter. Like, that's kind of what I wanted him to say if that makes any sense like you don't ever want your subject matter to say something but do you know what he did he did what jason kidd did when i don't know if you saw the jason kidd reggie bullock question about why i did did. play more he gave you that answer because it is still early except he acknowledged that you know that's a legit question we don't have an answer yet because it's still so early into the season so like he did it without being like you know a, a, a jerk because i don't know if you heard from this podcast so it, i didn't mean to say he gave you a non-answer i don't know what you're supposed to be like we need to fix this immediately right. two well, or two three games into the season that's what i was gonna say like one time i asked justin holiday about something they were struggling with last year and he was like if we knew why we sucked at it dude we'd like we'd fix it and i was like yeah i i know that but, but why right so that's kind of what i was thinking rick would go for it's like yeah, we suck in the third, and I don't know why is an answer, but also, or you know, I know why, and we're going to fix it. You know, if he knew, he would have said something. So, I that was after the second game, and then against the Heat, they put up eight points in the third quarter. So apparently, they did not figure it out, and you kind of alerted to it that they don't go inside as much. Like even though they're not shooting around the basket that much, Caitlin's tweeted about this too. I know you are a fan of four work that they 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 at least get it in to within inside ten feet, and then pass from there or create from there a lot in the first, second and fourth quarters. And in the third quarter, they're just like, eh, now nah, we're going to, you know, pull up from 20 feet or take more threes. It's very strange. That's what I've seen. I don't know how they feel, but it's been a three game pattern so far. And that's, what's caused all these games to be close. Cause they've had a double digit lead, I think in the first half of all three of their games so far. So very, very weird and very annoying. Do, do you have their updated net rating in third quarters? Because I saw it was like through two games, it was minus 61 or something. Yeah, like it's, that. Embar- it's probably worse than that now. Um, I will try to pull it up while I'm talking, but their offensive rating is probably like 50 something, right? Cause they just scored eight points in a quarter. I mean, it's, I don't, and I don't look, I don't know what it is, but like Malcolm Brogdon and Chris Stewart, like those guys are not hitting shots in the third quarter. No. Malcolm Brogdon has yet to make a third quarter three. That Ooh. is something I looked up as you were talking in case you're wondering. <laughs> okay. So, their net rating uh, in the third quarter went from minus 61 to minus 53 after the Heat game because despite their awful offense, they played good defense for that frame to their credit. Their offensive rating in third quarter is this season, Dan Favalli. 60.3. That is low. For that is very low. Know. <laughs> that is very low. That is very low. First place in the league is uh, 150 from Portland. So they are uh, uh, 
two fifths of the way to being the best offense in the NBA. That is so low. That is so low. Uh, Look, kudos to them for improving their net rating in the third quarter (laughs) in a game where they only scored eight points. Eight points. They scored more in the first like three minutes of overtime than they did in the entire third quarter of that game. That's when I was just like, okay, this team makes no sense right now. One more break so I can talk about two more great groups of people and we can finish talking about the Pacers. First up, let's talk about the great folks over at Built Bar because they are making the best tasting protein bars ever. As Nate Duncan says, they're the first protein bars that don't taste like you're eating the inside of a sawmill. They're 100% covered in chocolate, soft, easy to chew, and delicious protein bars that come in so many delicious flavors. There's some for everybody. If you like fruit flavors, they've got a bunch of those. If you like sweeter flavors, they've got a bunch of those. If you want to mix it up and have some nuttier flavors, they've got some of those. They have a mixed box to try some of each of them. There's something for everybody. I mean it. My favorite, the cookie dough and the peanut butter brownie, both delicious. I'm like the sweet side, but there's other options as well. And not only are they delicious and the best tasting protein bars out there, they're healthy too. 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, only four to five grams of sugar and only four to five grams of net carbs. All the flavors are tasty and healthy and they're the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. That's pretty sweet. So go check them out. Go to built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. That promo code is LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. And we also got to talk about the great group of people over at rockauto.com because there's so many makes and models of cars now. It's so hard for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you could need when you need them. And you got to wait behind the counter while the guy orders them when you're in the store because they never have it there. Don't go through all that hassle. You got a computer with access to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket. You can save time and money when you use Rock Auto. You can save 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts that you would spend at a chain store. They're a family business who've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are always reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you can need from brake parts to tail lamps to motor oil, even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today. Find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto. Dot com. Speaking of things that fans will think make no sense, Dan Favalli wrote a column about a lineup he would like to see for every single team in the NBA. And his Pacers lineup, if you go on YouTube, you can see it. My head blew up because it was a Pacers lineup featuring five good players, and none of those five players play center. And for a team that has been searching for the right center or the better fitting center, not seeing one was fascinating. So, Dan, I want to talk about this lineup you wanted to see for those not at home. Actually, you tell me what it is in your explanation, even though people can read it too. But we want—I want you to say it, and then we can talk about it. So I'll preface it with the entire exercise was I wanted to journey off the beaten path with lineups because I did this as part of a series where I was writing about what what I thought team starting five should be, what I thought their most used closing unit should be, and so I didn't want to necessarily be so star centric in some of them. Um, it was pointed out to me by one of my editors. Uh, I. I don't want to say they had some cruel words for it, but they thought that like I was unhinged in the way I went about it in certain instances. (laughs) So I want to recognize that there are some people where this isn't their cup of tea. That being said, I'm a very big advocate of small ball lineups or lineups where everybody can handle the ball. um, Maybe where you could switch a ton. And so I, what I really should have done is said that I want to see the Pacers projected starting five, just because we have yet to see that. Like this has been a team that's like been together for a little bit now, but it's just between Karis LeVert and TJ Warren. They just haven't been healthy enough to 
for it to see it. But my actual selection for it was I had Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert, Chris Duarte, Justin Holiday, and TJ Warren. And I put like a little note in what I, I wrote that said, if you really want to lean into the switching, like just put O'Shea Brissett in there for um, Karis LeVert, who's probably not going to give you that much as like a, a switching defender. This You could say Duarte as well too, but I'm in love with Duarte. So I'm not pulling him from any lineup. I just like the idea of like, let's put, you know, Justin Holiday. Is he a ball handler or not? Like he can do something like he's not incapable. So just give me five guys who can stretch the floor, at least four of whom can handle the ball at this point. And mind you, I wrote this before Chris Duarte went full superstar through the, through the first few games. So those are the types Dan of knew everybody. I, Dan knew it was coming. I had no idea it was coming, but um, <laughs> these are the types of lineup I like. And it feels like this team actually might be one of the better lineups that perhaps putting pressure on the basket when you look at both TJ Warren and Karis LeVert being in there. Uh, and look, there was, when I was going about it, the thing that I need to see is Karis LeVert and TJ Warren play together. So like that was also a stipulation. And I think that, you know, even leading into the season, I was curious uh, what Chris Duarte's role would be. And this is obviously like a, a kinky lineup basically, but it's like, I was going to throw him in there no matter what, but from my background, you know, by now that I love like the smaller lineups. And when you kind of look at the Pacers big man rotation, it's like, okay, you have miles Turner, you have Sabonis, but there's like a lot of, you know, does Gogo Batadze even exist anymore? Is it just Isaiah Jackson? Um, what do you consider Brissett? And like I said, I'm fine. If you want to throw him into this lineup, just because of what he gives you is this like switching defender and guy was going to work his butt off on the glass. Um, but like, that's why I just wanted to see it. I doubt that we ever will, but, um, Hey, as long as we get to see Karis LeVert and TJ Warren play together this season, I'll think. <laughs> yeah, that is the, the, the important part to me is that that is actually possible for the Pacers to have those two players on the court at the same time so far. I still TBD if that is a legal thing for a, an NBA team to do. So as someone who likes wings and switching defenses, this obviously made me perk up and Carlisle has gone switching. He did this with Dallas, too. This isn't new for him, but it's new for the Pacers. Uh, it's not even him, actually. Let me back up. Lloyd Pierce is mostly the defensive guy for this team, but similar mm-hmm. deal with the Hawks. Um, a lot of like-size switching that's really popular in the NBA in general, so it's not like some revolutionary defense. But you know, McMillan was very standard, and Bjorkren was uh, – there's not a really a word to describe his defense, right? So this is the most like, okay, this is what – NBA teams do now. We've seen the Pacers do, and they switch like size. And everyone in this lineup is approximately the same size. I think Levert's the shortest guy at 6'4. So they could switch a lot, which would be really beneficial for how Carlisle wants to play. They could play five out very easily, which would be great for how Carlisle wants to play. So I think that they would fit what the Pacers want to do. I think they could score okay and defend okay. Any team with the big guy is going to smoke them because, as much as I like Justin Holiday's defense, he cannot defend even like strong power forwards who are still perimeter players. He struggles with that kind of guy. TJ Warren, maybe he could be the one who does it, but I don't want to put that on his foot at this point in his career. <laughs> that's, that's that's not really fair, but you know, that probably would be as one of those two, and that's where they would get killed. And on the glass, this is like the worst rebounding five players on the Pacers, I think, except Duarte. He's done pretty well so far on the glass. So I like it. It's very creative. What I would try to do to spin it, can I, can I take your dorky lineup and make it a little dorkier? Uh, you mean my super cool lineup and make it cool? <laughs> yes, you may. Of course, of course. Can we get Tory Craig for Justin Holiday? Is that allowed? Yeah, I mean he's Tory Craig's like a very um subtly good rebounder. I would say like he yeah, always is gonna have why. more offensive boards than you think that he's gonna have. Is basically see, see his offense has been really bad since he joined the Pacers. Like he's dribbling and shooting shots that he shouldn't take. 
And it's strange because he does everything else exactly as advertised and pretty well. Good defender, can switch like Carlisle wants. And like you said, the rebounding he's really good at. And he's stocky enough that if the other team had a big, he could at least credibly do that. So I would like this lineup with Craig because then you have a, a five that, that makes it all come together and work, uh, air quotes for those not he, on YouTube. Or, he did or play five for, and I trust me because I looked this up actually during the process of writing this piece for <laughs> every team. He played like 50-something possessions at center for Phoenix last there year. There you go. So it's not unheard of. I am curious as to why would you prefer him over Brissett as like that guy? Oh, um, I, I like Brissett. He's a better defense. <laughs> I'm going to stop myself. Him and Craig are close as defenders, I think, impact-wise. And O'Shea is definitely better on offense. We're about to talk a lot about O'Shea, and I'm going to gush and and tap, pat myself on the back. But uh, he's just, just because of centers. Like, O'Shea would be worse at defending centers specifically than Craig, and Craig's a better okay. rebounder than O'Shea. But O'Shea is the better player of the two, and they do play the same position. So, understood. What is the so I'm anxious to see the victory lap on O'Shea Brissett. What is did you just okay? See we can do that. I know, I, 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 uh, so I did a podcast, uh, it was even during the preseason, right? This is such granular, like I have to do a podcast every day level segment stuff. But I said O'Shea Brissett should be playing more. He was behind Isaiah Jackson and Tory Craig in the rotation at that time. Uh, it wasn't playing much at all, it didn't look like he was very favored by Carlisle. And then they played the Hornets and he didn't play a single minute, he sat the whole game. And so I've been kind of pushing, like, look, this Pacers team, like, this is a four, a true four, something this team lacks that can shoot, that can switch on D, that can defend. And now this is the thing he worked on this offseason, and you saw this against the Heat, can dribble the ball. Like, in transition, if he dribbles three times or four times or if he shot fakes and dribbles, like, that's fine. Last year that was not fine. And he's only 23. I have to say that every time I talk about him. He's only 23, like he's young, and so he can develop into something. So I've just been beating to death that he should be a rotation, not just a guy who plays like a lock. Every game, you have to play O'Shea Brissett. You're developing him, and he's good. And against the Heat, lo and behold, they're finally like, I mean, Miles Turner foul trouble contributed to them having to do this. Right. But Rick Carlisle said, okay, O'Shea, go out there and show me what you can do. And he was fantastic. He was excellent, excellent, excellent in that game. I mean, he might have been not the reason they won, but – was a critical part. They were plus nine in a game they won by 11 with him out there. He had half his threes. He was 7-11. Nine rebounds, so maybe he could be the Craig replacement. It's more than I think. Uh, 18 points. Just a flawless glue guy against so many lineups, and he can do the Carlisle switch-like size thing. So he fits really well with the Pacers, and I've been saying, play this guy, play this guy, play this guy. So to me, it was so, it was so nice to see it all come together in the third game where he Pops right up, looks awesome, fits in, and helps the team win. The, look at this. The first game he plays more than 10 minutes, the Pacers get a win. It's like you should be playing this guy more every game. Do you think that he has like er, entrenched himself to the to the rotation now? Because if you're going to play him at the four, too, like the, the secondary rotation feels like it should be wide open, especially with Craig has not played a ton to this point because, as you said, he's been pretty bad on, on offense. Yeah, Carlisle was kind of asked about that after this heat game. All season, really, he's been asked about the – like six you? through, I mean, they've, not not <laughs> me actually. Not me. <laughs> not me. Uh, for once, I can say not me. Well, the the thing about the it's not even necessarily an O'Shea specific question with this team because when they're fully healthy, which is not a real thing, they like guys six through like thirteen almost down to Isaiah Jackson. You could kind of make a case they should play right, and they can't play thirteen guys in a game. So there there's going to be some weirdness so there's always been a lot of questions about minutes and stuff but he did say that he kind of talked to O'Shea I think O'Shea was actually the one answering these questions about you know Rick told me that I was going to play 
a lot, but maybe not every game. You know, he would feel it out and kind of stuff like that. But he did tell O'Shea he would be, you know, a, a guy that he uses, right? So I, I think he expected to play, so not playing was a surprise. But then, you know, going from zero minutes to 32 in two games certainly shows some level of trust has already been established. Yeah, I just – I don't – like what is the? I know you said there's a bunch of different options, but if Tory Craig hasn't really been playing well, you're really that intrigued by using more of Isaiah Jackson than using O'Shea Brissett? That's an honest question. I'm not even trying to be like, you know, an idiot here. Well, a lot of the a lot of the lumping was like assuming the starting five would be Brogdon, uh, Lavert, Warren, and the two bigs, right? Yeah, you then you go to your bench. <laughs> then you go to your bench, and you have to find a way to get Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, O'Shea, Tory Craig, and Duarte all minutes. That's five guys for three spots. That's a little harder, right? It's a little harder. But now we know Duarte's a, a lock lock for one of those, and Justin Holliday's kind of one. So now you're O'Shea, Craig, and Lamb are fighting for one spot. And that's that's a like it seems easy to me. I think O'Shea's the best of those three guys, and I've, I've been saying that for a while, but the Pacers see it differently. That's why I've been talking about it so much. And it was like, hey, look, he's actually good still. Okay. Can you believe that? The but that's Pacers- why it's been a discussion because the fully healthy Pacers, it's a question, whereas right now, not as much. The section of Pacers Twitter that I follow has seemed to be like really intrigued, if not flat out high on Brissett since last season. It feels like yeah, he's he, been a not so guilty pleasure of you guys. He's a good player. It's weird. Like I get why the Raptors didn't keep him. I think didn't he get hurt in camp for them or something? Something happened where it made sense for them not yeah, to keep like him. He's like the type of player they would never get rid of, too. Yeah, that it was stunning. Funny. It was stunning that the Raptors didn't keep him. He's Canadian. Like, everything about him was just like, why is this guy not on the Raptors anymore? But he came to the Pacers on this 10-day and was just awesome right away, right? It was so clear. And I, I think some of the infatuation from from me and, and the Pacers fans alike is that they haven't had a four since Thad Young. Like, not, not like a credible four, like any four since Thad Young. So to have a guy who can play the position well was, was an infatuation period at first. But he's actually a decent player who provides – useful rotation level skills so he deserves a lot of flowers for the way he played in that heat game they, they, they definitely don't win without him you know craig cannot give them the offensive production and ball handling that he gave them so uh, i think we'll be seeing much more o'shea Brissett in the coming games this milwaukee game could be very telling to see i mean that's probably the first chance carlisle will have to tweak his rotation in a way that people expect this season so it'll be interesting to see how he follows through with that well i'm all in on him after the heat game Playing a point guard at this point. He can take some of TJ's McConnell's minutes <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. McConnell uh, has not been awesome yet this season, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, but he'll be fine. TJ McConnell's always fine. Dan, thank you for the four minutes and 58 seconds longer than I thought I would be holding you of time. Uh, where can people follow you and your stuff on the internet? Yeah, they can just follow me on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. That's where I put out all my work. And they can follow my podcast, which covers the NBA at large, Hardwood Knox, at Hardwood Knox. As I like to say, we are pleasantly sub-mediocre and only modestly insufferable. So that's not a ringing endorsement of our NBA-wide coverage. I don't know. I don't know what else would be. Hardwood Knox is great and has the best emoji usage of any podcast on Twitter, I would say. Pride myself in fitting as many emojis as possible (laughs) into my promotion tweets. (laughs) Dan, thank you for the time, guys. Tomorrow we will be talking Pacers Bucks. Any tweaks to that O'Shea Brissett looking rotation? Probably more Duarte talk because I'm going to have to talk about him every day until he has a bad game. So please stick around for that. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.